are listening to the Empowering Business DFW Podcast, and I am your host, Stephen Austin. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. We had the opportunity to chat with entrepreneur, speaker, television personality, and creative tastemaker Kyle Noonan. Kyle grew his hospitality and entertainment company to a $50 million company in five years. Currently, Free Reigns Concepts owns and operates 12 venues across four cities in Texas and have over 1,000 team members and is now on pace to eclipse $100 million in revenue in his eighth year. As an innovative entrepreneur and respected speaker, he has been recognized as an engaging media personality appearing on Bravo, ESPN, Food Network, Travel Channel, Food and Wine Magazine, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and so much more. Well, hey, Colin, welcome to episode seven of the Empowered Business DFW podcast. How are you today? Doing, doing extremely well. Thanks for having me on. Good, man. I'm excited to have you here and, and grateful to have you here because it wasn't until I started doing some intel research on you to realize how busy of a guy you are, right? I don't know if there was a news channel or a station that I didn't see you uh, have an interview on. So uh, I thank you for taking out the time to, to chat with me today. I wouldn't miss it. And 2020 seems to be a, a, a new year and we all have to be flexible and be able to uh, pivot on a dime. So that's, that's right. Good. So just looking through, I know this, you know, in the last eight years, you've been really busy, right? But a lot of what comes uh, from that is, is a little bit of background, a little bit of background story about you. So just take, take some time, tell me some stories about your upbringing and, and who is Kyle Noonan? Sure, sure. So I'm a West Coast kid originally, uh, born in New Mexico, actually. Uh, not many people are born in New Mexico, and I was one of the few. Um, so I love that state, the land of enchantment. And I grew up uh, in a great home. I, my parents were very young. My mom was 19 and my dad was 22. Uh, so they were very young and very poor. Uh, but what I saw is my parents really just uh, worked hard and uh, were diligent about, about spending and um, working hard and kept their nose down and um, ended up building a good life for themselves and then therefore me which allowed me to go to college which was a huge blessing for me um, I don't know if it's for everybody and I will tell you that um, the best thing I learned out of college was or the best thing I gained out of college was uh, meeting my business partner he was actually my college roommate um, and so that was probably the greatest thing that came out of college for me because I was I was an art major and I had no plans in doing what I'm doing now, but um, uh, I said yes a few times to a few opportunities, didn't know really how to, how to do or take on those opportunities, but um, I said yes and tried to figure it out and, um, and things worked out for me. So um, I grew up in a great home, um, went to SMU here in Dallas and uh, met my business partner there. He and I, after college, went our own separate ways professionally. He was a business major, finance major, went and worked on Wall Street and uh, in the private equity world. And I was an art major. And one thing I know about art majors is there's not a lot of jobs for you after college. So, so I uh, got into the restaurant business. And oddly enough, I remember telling my parents after going to SMU that I was going to uh, be a restaurant manager, and they were not so happy about it. They, they were kind of... Uh, frustrated that, that I went to school and um, I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship but they still were like you know you uh, 
you went to this very expensive university and you're going to be a, what a restaurant manager. Right. Um, and so they weren't really happy about it initially, but um, I'll never forget um, the, the first restaurant that I opened um, here in Dallas, which was uh, bowl and barrel. And we can get to that later. But the first one I went to, they came to the opening and my mom pulled me aside and said, I'm so glad you didn't listen to me. That's awesome. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, really, um, I, I, had a, I had a great upbringing, and I was very fortunate to be in Dallas, even though after college I did leave Texas, because um, I thought, you know, I'm not from Texas, I don't have any family here, um, I want to go explore other states, and when it came time to start my own company, I was like, actually, Dallas is probably the best place to do that, so that's what brought me back, and I'm, I've been here now uh, almost a decade. That's awesome. And, and you, so you, you transitioned and you went straight into school and you were an art major, but tell me about you as a kid. Did you have thoughts of ever wanting to open a business with, was that your mindset? So, so my, my, uh, my mother was an entrepreneur or is an entrepreneur. She's tired now, retired now, but, um, she was an entrepreneur, um, had a nutritional company, uh, that she created. So I saw, uh, how hard it is to be an entrepreneur, but also how rewarding it was for her um, and how she had flexibility to uh, always come and pick me up from school if she needed, if I needed her to, or, or be there for a football game or whatever it might be. Uh, and my dad was a corporate guy. He, he worked a corporate job for um, several decades until he finally retired. So uh, I saw both sides of it, the very corporate structured uh, life and then the entrepreneurial life. And, um, initially I probably thought just because most of us, when we're growing up in this country, we're taught, you know, do good in school, go to college, then get a job and work at that job for 40 years and then retire. Um, that's kind of how we're, we're trained now. Um, although I think that we're, we're beginning to shift from that. And, right. and the, the idea of being an entrepreneurial uh, or having that entrepreneurial spirit is uh, starting to become more and more in vain, which is which is great in some aspects, but it's it's also scary in in others because not everybody's create created to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, you know, and and there is uh, no shame at, at being a number two or number three at a great company. Yep. Um, you know, so uh, you know, I, I I hate that that I think it's kind of in vogue to be an entrepreneur. Um, and it almost makes people feel like they're supposed to do that instead of go work for the man. But, but a lot of times working for the man is a great thing too. Yeah. I mean, just hearing the story about your parents, it sounds like you got the best of both all qualities from both of them. Right. I mean, um, I did, I did. just looking at your success and, and all, uh, all of your venues across Texas, I mean, not only are you a great entrepreneur, but you're, you're doing the right things to make that business grow and that business thrive. So congratulations. Well, to it's you. not just me either. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, I mean, we have a, a team of a, a, over a thousand people strong now. Wow. So uh, we've got a massive organization or uh, becoming a massive organization. Um, and so we've got a lot of input from a lot of talented people. Um, and that's really been our, our, our secret to our success more than anything. No, that's awesome. So tell me about, uh, you know, you and your, your college roommate had talked about building a business together. Tell me how free range concepts came into play. 
Sure. Yeah. So, you know, Josh and I, Josh is my business partner, my college roommate. Um, he and I always knew we wanted to do something together because we had similar uh, core values, but vastly different skill sets. And those skill sets seem to mesh really well. Um, the things he likes to do, I hate to do and vice versa. Um, he, you know, give him a spreadsheet or a, or a, a bar chart or a, or, or a computer to stare at and he is in his zone. I, on the other hand, I, I open my computer for podcasts and that's a bit of you know, you know, that's just not how I'm wired. I'm, I'm, I'm on the creative side. I'm more out in the field talking to the team. Um, and that's really where our, our, uh, skill sets kind of match. So we always knew that we wanted to do something together. We just weren't sure what until one day he called me and asked me, um, Hey, do you want to go bowling? And I said, sure, I haven't done that in a long time. Well, let's, let's go bowling. And then we, my follow-up question is, where do we go bowling? And he goes, I, I actually don't know. And so we started uh, searching where to go bowling. And we realized there was nowhere close to us. We lived kind of close to uh, the uptown area of Dallas. Uh, and those in Dallas are familiar with it. Um, and there was nothing near us. And the, the closest ones that were uh, that were an option were not in areas that we wanted to go into and they were your typical gross bowling alleys with sticky floors and stale beer and you know gooey nacho cheese sauce and um, it just wasn't a, a vibe that we wanted so we thought maybe that's our option maybe that's our opportunity um, and so we hired a consultant to, to just educate ourselves on the bowling space because we didn't know the bowling space um, I, I knew the hospitality restaurant space. Uh, Josh knew the private equity world. Um, so we wanted to bring somebody in that knew the bowling space. And we quickly found out that Dallas seemed to be a, a, a treasure uh, in the bowling world because it just, it had been looked over. Right. Frankly. Um, and so we opened Bowling Barrel in 2012, which is over by North Park Mall. Um, simultaneously down that same path, uh, I saw um, I saw a uh, bare piece of land on Lemon and, and 75 in, a, in the uptown neighborhood of Dallas. And I tracked down the landlord and said, hey, I have this idea to do a dog park uh, with a restaurant and bar. Uh, and then I have another idea to do an outdoor music venue, restaurant and bar combo. Uh, are you interested? And he said, as a matter of fact, that's exactly what we've been looking for. And so as things worked out, we ended up opening Bowl and Barrel um, in, in 2012. And then six months later, we opened Mutt's Canine Cantina. And then three months after that, we, were, we opened the Rustic. So we went from nothing to uh, three large scale venues in less than a year. Oh. And it was a whirlwind. I wouldn't recommend it for anybody. <laughs> um, it was like drinking in water out of a fire hose from day one. Um, but we, we navigated through it and, um, you know, we earned a lot of gray hairs, and, uh, but we made it and, yeah. and we figured it out and how to grow uh, from there. That's awesome. Yeah. Some of the best businesses are really built based off of, uh, finding a solution to a problem. Right. And the fact that you guys were sure. into bowling, but didn't really know where to go. And to your point, the, the bowling industry has kind of been looked over. So the fact that you were able to create something, an environment that everybody wants to go to is amazing. And it sounds like, you know, all of your locations are a little bit different type of category, but 
they all catered to a different different group, right? So where did you come up with the ideas of, of I mean, we know about the bowling alley, the bowling barrel. What about mutts? What about the rustic? Where did you come up with these concepts? Right. So, you know, we had a, we had a general thesis early on. Um, we knew we wanted to be in the food and beverage space, but we always struggled with the fact that it's, especially in a, in a market like DFW, it is really difficult to do something that has, that isn't already been done. Um, just because there's so many restaurants and bars around. And so we always knew we wanted to be in the food and beverage space, but we wanted to have some other unique component attached to it that did two things. One, uh, separated ourselves from everybody else. And two, tapped into people's passions, tapped into things that people love to do. Um, and so, you know, we, we know that people are passionate about sports or competition, things like that. Um, but we also know that people are passionate about their pets and people are passionate about live music. And so uh, that was really how those ideas kind of came out um, because we just, we knew that that was going to be our formula to set us apart from everybody else. The other thing that was really interesting to us uh, was we wanted big venues. We wanted big spaces uh, for two reasons. One, we wanted the ability to have a high ceiling. One thing I've learned in my, in my lifetime is that doing things small is often just as hard as doing things big um, or you know not much not much easier but your your upside reward is infinitely bigger um, so we wanted that high ceiling for revenue um, and in order to have that you have to have large spaces the other thing we wanted is by having big venues we knew that it was going to be a, a barrier to entry to competitors because not everybody can take down 30, 40,000 square feet um, to do something. So we liked it from that, stat, from that standpoint. Now, the, the barrier to entry is a, is a double-edged sword because it's also a barrier to entry to us too. Yeah. You know, it's hard to find that real estate right. in urban, urban dense markets um, at a price that works. So you know, we're not ever gonna be a company that does 100 units a year. Um, just because there's just not that kind of real estate available. Um, but, you know, we don't have to do 100 units a year either to do the right. volume because, uh, because of how we're positioned. When you look at your, your market locations and where did you eventually find all of these, these locations? I mean, it looks like you're in some, some prime areas. How did you work your way into a market area to where some of your locations are in perfect perfect locations now? Well, I mean, uh, you know, ultimately what it comes down to is how compelling is the concept, number one, and number two, who, who is the jockey behind, you know, riding the horse? Right. Um, and we, we had, uh, I mean, it's proven to be, and we thought we had it going into it, but we had uh, good ideas for concepts. And we had, um, we had proven track records, not necessarily on our own. Um, now we have proven track records on our own. But I had extensive uh, restaurant experience at high volumes. And Josh had ex extensive uh, finance uh, experience. So we kind of made a good team. Um, I had opened numerous restaurants, ran numerous restaurants. Josh is... Uh, been on the finance accounting side for a long time. So we kind of made a good, uh, a good duo. Um, yeah. 
and we were able to tell that story well to landlords. Um, and, you know, it worked out for us. And, and now we're in a position where landlords are knocking on our door. Yeah. And we say, more, we say no a lot more than we say yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a good position to be in, for sure. Right. So correct me if I'm wrong, right now you've got 12 total venues um, across four different cities. You've got over 1,000 employees. Um, hasn't always been easy, right? So Certainly not. Share some struggles with me that, that you may have had early on or even now that, you know, when you're starting as a smaller business and, and a lot of business don't scale as that, that quick, right? So what has been some struggles that you've had along the way that you don't mind sharing? Sure. Well, you know, I think it's probably prudent to just uh, go ahead and scratch off 2020 because there's been a tremendous amount of unique struggles that hopefully um, our country won't experience in our lifetimes again. Um, so, you know, take those out, um, because those are obviously, uh, the day I, I got no news that all restaurants and bars were closed in the entire state from the, for the governor, um, that was a dark day. Um, but, you know, hopefully that won't be the case <laughs> moving forward in, my, in the, for the rest of my career. Um, and we have been lucky enough to, um, to actually be successful during this time, um, or one of the few companies that are positioned uh, in a unique way to where we're, we're able to, to still not only survive, but thrive during this period. Um, so I'll take 2020 out of this. Um, the biggest challenge for us was the finding ourselves often in a position where we're too big to act small, but too small to act big. And what I mean by that is we're running large scale venues. We grew from, from zero to 50 million in revenue in 60 months. Um, and so that rapid growth, um, you're expected at that point to be a big company and be a big organization with a lot of people, and a lot of, a lot of infrastructure. Um, but we didn't have it because we were still a small company. Um, and so that constant juggling act of, of how do we, um, I use the analogy all the time, we have 20 holes in the dam and we only have 10 fingers. So let's okay. figure out how to plug them. Um, and that's kind of where we were, that's kind of where we were at. And we still are a lot of times. And, and that frankly probably um, is the case, whether you're just starting out or I don't know at what point you have more fingers than you have holes in the dam. Uh, but I can tell you it's not at our, at our level right now. We still are, we still are battling that every day. Yeah. Um, so that's probably our biggest challenge from a daily basis is just, is just, you know, keeping all the balls in the air. I, I kind of want to touch on COVID a minute just because, you know, there have been so many businesses, restaurants that have kind of gone out of business or really, I mean, just taken, taken a major hit. Well, I would say that, that number one, every penny counts, um, and you have to be good stewards of, of every cent. Um, you know, when times are good, you can, you can maybe be a little bit more loose, but now you just, there's no room for error um, because you've got to make sure that you have the cash runway to, 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 to ride this out. Um, number two, you have to really, it, this is a way to edit. Um, edit what you are, what you're doing, all your operations, and, um, you know, just really get back into what your true purpose is and what you're really good at. 
you know, that old analogy of, of you spend 80% of your time on 20% of your revenue have, you know, in many cases, yeah. um, you got to get out of that. Then you got to spend a hundred, hundred percent of your time on 80, on the top 80% of your revenue. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, using the time to edit, to, uh, to get rid of the stuff that you don't need because thin to win right now is, is really the name of the game. Um, the other thing I would say, and I see this all the time, especially in the hospitality space, but it, this translates to really any, any industry is we take the approach of instead of here guest or customer, here's what you need to do for us to, for us to, serve you or do business with you. Yeah. We take the approach of here's what we're doing for you so that you feel comfortable doing business with us. Yeah, that's um, you know, and, and, and what I mean by that in, in restaurant terms, I see it all the time where um, there's all these warning signs on doors and people barking, put your mask on, stand over there, don't do this, do this, do, you know, um, instead of um, taking a more hospitable approach to it, and making people feel comfortable being there because we're doing all the work for you. And all you have to do is just come in and enjoy yourselves, put on a mask, and we're, and, and that's really all we ask of the guest. Yeah. Um, so I, I, think, I think that that's really, the businesses that are doing that, taking that approach during this time are the ones that are excelling versus just treading water. So what would be one adjustment that you had to make early that you were, weren't prepared to make, you know, until two, three, four years from now? Uh, well, I mean, I think ultimately uh, 2020 is not a time to be rigid and, and stiff. Uh, you have to be flexible. You have to be willing to edit everything you do, audit yourself, know what you're good at, know what you're not good at, focus on what you're good at only um, and get rid of the other junk. Um, and, and then the other thing is just exploring other revenue streams. And we've been doing that quite a bit. And, and we've been surprised at some of the things that we hadn't been doing before because we've been quote unquote, so busy. What advice would you share with, with another owner right now of, of you own a restaurant? What tips would you suggest them or approaches would you take, uh, to, to help thrive? through this time? Cause obviously it's not over and it's going to be around for, for some more time. But um, what advice would you have for some local business owners who might be going through something similar? Um, and now that we're, you know, we had a, we had a period where we had a couple months where we weren't even open. We had time to do those things. Yeah. Um, and it's been surprising because those have proven to be very viable revenue streams for us that we were just frankly, just leaving money on the table before. Yeah. Um, and so that's been kind of eye-opening. And one of those examples is to go, yeah. um, carry out to go. We've never focused on it. We have always wanted you to experience us in the restaurant. Um, but by being forced to do carry out and to go, we've actually found that there's a tremendous need for it and desire and that the guests actually really like it. Now that the, the restaurants are back open, have you seen that t that takeout number still increased? It's remained, it's remained yeah. Wow. yeah. The the uptick in to go um, is still there. It, it, 
and, and I would say it's probably because we figured out how to be good at it. Um, I think that's, that, that's a lot of times like when, you know, if you're using a, a delivery food delivery platform or whatever the case is, sometimes you're, you're, especially in a time like this, you're more interested in trying a restaurant that um, maybe you're not familiar with the atmosphere or whatever the case is, but it, it might kind of encourage you to, Hey, let's try the food first. Um, because this is an entrepreneur focused podcast, I'd like to sh make a shift a little bit to more of that mindset. One question that I do have a lot of times talking with business owners is finding the right people, like hiring the right people, um, and keeping the right people. Uh, right. and with, with a thousand person team, if not more, how are you finding success in the hiring process and even keeping the employees, uh, for long-term? Um, the, the number one thing we look for, we don't care about your experience. We don't care about your resume. We don't care about any of that stuff. We care about, do you have a spirit of hospitality? Um, this is a, this is an industry of people taking care of people. And if that is, and when you meet somebody, you know, pretty quickly, if they're a person that is, uh, there for themselves or there for other people. Right. And, um, and that's the number one thing we look for. We can teach the skills, we can teach the, the, no the knowledge that you need for the job, but we can't teach that spirit of hospitality and servitude because that's what we're about. Um, you know, and, and I mean, ultimately, we, we operate by a mantra that we're, we're slow to hire and quick to fire. Yeah. And what I mean by that is we take our time and really evaluate people, but we also, once they join the team, if they don't fit our core values, and I'm not talking about if you make a mistake, you get fired. I'm talking about if you're a type, if you're the type of person that, that, you know, you, you fake this out in the interview somehow. Um, and we realize that you're, you're not a team, you're not a part of the team and you're not there to serve. Uh, we don't have a problem making a move on that very quickly. Yeah. My, my very first job in, in my adult life, I worked at Outback Steakhouse for, gosh, I think it was almost four years. Yeah. Um, and one thing I learned that I would suggest anyone who is, is young getting into the restaurant hospitality business, because you learn a lot of basic concepts that even if you decide not to stay in the industry, you know, how to treat people the right way, how to, how to serve others. Um, just couldn't agree more. Yes. How to multitask, how to sell, how to, I mean, the, this, I, I think that, I think that serving should be a requirement, a course requirement in school. Yep. I yeah. mean, I, I really think it's that valuable, the lessons you learn. It just, it just puts yourself in, a, in a, the other person's shoes whenever you're sitting across the table at a restaurant and, and something's not going your way or the food's not right. You know, being in the back of house, what really sometimes happens. Certainly. Uh, so what's your day-to-day -day look like as a CEO? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, I think that the, the number one thing I try to do is I try to take care of the things that I personally need to take care of early in the day. Um, so I'm usually up sometime between five and six, five and six 30. Um, I generally wake up naturally cause I'm just, I don't sleep much and I just like to get up and get going. Um, so by 10 or 11 in the, in, in the morning, I want to be done with all of my work. Um, and the reason being is because 
I think one of the most important things I can do is stay flexible to my people um, because I have, uh, you know, not a minute goes by, I feel like, where somebody doesn't walk into my office or somebody call me on the phone and I want to make sure I'm present. Um, and so that's probably the biggest, that's probably the biggest hack I have is, is get your stuff out of the way early so that you can be there for your team uh, when they start rolling into the office or, or into the restaurants or whatever the case may be. What was, um, what was one thing that you learned early on while working? Cause I know you just didn't, didn't go into the industry and automatically own and start a restaurant, right? You probably built a strong foundation in the industry as well. What is something that you learned early on that is helping you now? Um, I, I would say the, the biggest thing that I, I learned is, is that the most important thing I can do is look at things from the guest perspective. Um, not from my perspective, not from my teammate members perspective, not from my investors, not, it's all about the guest. And if I was a guest in this restaurant or a customer for this business, how would I want it? What would I, what, what products would I want? How would I want the experience to go? How would I want to be treated? And everything goes back to that. Every decision is made based off of that, not based off of um, what looks better on a spreadsheet or what gives me less grief when, you know, when the team complains about, oh, we have to do this too. Uh, the answer is yes, because it makes the guest experience better. Um, and so that's probably the number one thing I, I, you know, I think so often we, we either as employees or business owners, um, we start looking at the business from our perspective and not from the customer's perspective. Um, and, and that's where a lot of things, a lot of poor decisions are made. So how long, how long have you been in the industry? Um, well, it's been now 18, no, 19 years. Okay. 19 so, years. so a lot of preparation for your position now. I have, I have, I was with, uh, my previous company, which was Pappas restaurant. So those in Texas know it, Papa Do, Papa C, Papa, or Papa Cito's, Pappas Brothers Steakhouse, that company. I was with them for 13 years wow. and, um, and, and then I broke away to start my own company. So um, I've spent a lot of hours in this industry. Yeah. A lot of late nights too, I bet. A lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings, a lot of different concepts. Um, so, you know, and, and that was the, that was a unique perspective that I gained from that, from that organization was whether I was in Pappas Brothers Steakhouse um, where the check average is, is $150 a person um, or whether I was at, uh, you know, the Tex-Mex concept, Papacitos, or the seafood concept, um, there was, the, the platform was still the same. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that was different was the, the products and the design of the building. But the operation and the expectations were still the same. I want to reference something you said earlier, you know, how there's been a shift where pretty much anybody could become an entrepreneur at this point, right? Yes. In your opinion, what is the importance importance of patience when it comes to entrepreneurship? Well, you know, patience is a, is an interesting, uh, again, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. 
Um, patience sometimes leads to, uh, to not being quick enough and not making fast decisions because the world moves fast and a lot of times you have to be able to be nimble and, and make quick decisions. Um, but patience also in your expectation of I'm going to, I'm going to start this company and then I'm in, in, in a year, I'm going to be a millionaire. Um, that's, you got to be willing to play the long, the long game. Yeah. Um, it is, it is, you know, I would say if you're in it just to get rich quick, you're going to fail. If you're in it because you really do want to run, run the marathon and go the distance and you want to do it because you love doing it. Um, then your chances of success increase exponentially. Um, so, you know, patience is important in this for, for personal gain, I guess. But, um, you know, I also am a proponent of acting quickly. Hence why we, 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 in 60 months grew from zero to 50 million. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, Fails because we were able to act quickly. Um, we, we, you know, long hours, worked fast, worked hard. Um, we were aggressive, um, but we weren't doing it so that we could be rich in five years. You know, we were doing it because uh, we wanted to be on the offensive. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times when you look at success, right, to your point, it doesn't, it, it usually takes a lot longer than eight years, right? And you've done a really good job. You and your partner have done a great job of building a, a team that all of you working together, like you said, your, your formula to, to making a successful business, right? Right. So what would you suggest to someone who is looking to start a business or start a restaurant specifically? Um, I would say the number one thing is if you are starting a restaurant because you got grandma's good spaghetti restaurant and you think you can do it, uh, you're going to fail. That's not what it's about. That's, you know, and that's so many times what I, what I see, you know, people go, Oh, well, I'm really good at cooking steaks. I'm going to open a steakhouse that's that's two percent of the business um you know and so uh, i i would say first start there if that's your motivation uh then that doesn't mean that you shouldn't that just means that okay now go go work in the industry do every position in the industry um really learn it master your craft and then and then go take a shot um you know, and that's probably where patience and discipline come into play. You know, I, I, I think it's, I, I, I liken it to, you know, oh, I, I played the Thanksgiving Day family football game and we won. So now I'm going to go coach the Cowboys. <laughs> right. You know, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that you have to have the discipline to put in the hours and master your craft before you go do any of it. If you, assuming you've already done that, assuming you've been in the industry for a long time, um, then I would say take the time to, to, to really understand uh, your business plan. Write a business plan, first of all. Really understand it. Get mentors, get people in the industry to, to evaluate it. Don't get your feelings hurt if they say it sucks um, because it probably you know, will have some things that need to be changed. Um, but you know, that would be my thought is, is if you've been in the industry and you worked all the positions and now it's time then spend, we spent a year writing a business plan 
before yeah. we opened anything. Um, and that was two of us. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I think having the ability to to make adjustments and, and not um, be offended with critiques and things like that really help along yeah. the way. Uh, you mentioned mentors, you know, a lot of what, you know, you've built a lot of relationships from the time that you've been in the industry. Um, this podcast is driven by a, a Facebook group that's specific for networking. You know, what is the importance in your opinion of networking, finding a mentor? Um, and then a follow-up question to that is, is do you have a mentor that you've, you've leaned on throughout your career? Sure. Well, I, I think I can answer that both the same way I have mentors in many different in different areas um, and that's one of the things that I, I think has helped us uh, a lot of big companies have board of advisors for a reason um, you know they have they have finance guys they have real estate guys they have, you know and so they have people with their expertise um, and forgive me I didn't mean to just say guys but um, you know people um, so you know, I think that's the key to mentorship is, is getting a, a diverse group that is good at different things. Yep. Yeah. I think that just uh, an even blend, just going back to the original concept of, of, of free range is, is you and your business partner are, excel differently, but when put together, it's perfect. So yeah. as we wrap up, just a couple of follow-up questions, you know, what are some tips that you have for a work-life balance, right? A lot of times, especially as an entrepreneur, you're putting in a ton of hours in the restaurant industry. It's late hours. How do you maintain a healthy work-life balance? I, I don't know if anybody does that, to be fair. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know what that looks like for everybody. Um, but the one thing I will say is that uh, if my kids call, I answer. Um, I mean, if one of my kids called me right now, I would, I would ask to pause and, Right. Um, you know, that's been one of my, I, I think, core things is that I'm always available to my kids. Um, but they also know, and this is something that people don't talk about a lot. It's not bad to, for kids to see their parents work hard. You know, I think that's a good thing. Um, you know, and, and when you do get to go on that family vacation, or, or, you know, the kid gets a car for their 18th birthday or whatever. Um, they know where that came from. And they, knew, they know that came from their mom or their dad busting their ass to try and make it happen. Um, and so I think that's a good thing. So I don't know if work-life balance is ever a thing, especially yeah. now. Um, and especially being an entrepreneur, but, um, being able to set the example when you need to set the example of what hard work is, but also be accessible to your kids when they need you. Yeah. I mean, to that point, I mean, I've got, I've got two little ones. Um, and you know, they see me get home at, at five thirty, six o'clock change and, and leave to go work again. Yep. Um, they don't quite understand, but I'm hoping that we're instilling that, that, it's okay to work hard, right? Sure. But it's also okay to play hard. Yeah. Uh, so whenever you, you set a, that time aside specifically for family time, uh, but also building those principles that, you know, life doesn't come easy. You've got to right. work, work to be successful. And, and uh, I think that's just something me personally, I'm trying to, to do in my, my household. Um, just a couple random questions. What is your favorite 
out of all your restaurants, what is your favorite dish? Oh, I can't. That, that's like picking a favorite <laughs> child. Can't do it. Won't do it. Um, you know, each day I try and go in and try something new, try something that I haven't had before or not had before, but that I haven't had in a while. Um, so I try and mix it up. Yeah. No, that's fair. Favorite book. Um, the Bible. Yeah. The Bible. I mean, it's pretty hard to find, uh, find a book with, uh, that has answers to every question. Yep. I like it. What's next for free range? We've got, uh, you know, we just opened uh, a, a new rustic in Houston last month. We've got a, a new concept uh, in the works right now, which is what's really fascinating about that is we're opening, you know, restaurants, this industry is expected to shrink by, by as much as 40% um, during this pandemic. So a lot of restaurants are, are, are struggling to survive or closing um, and we're growing still. You know, and that's a that's a really interesting thing, and I think it really speaks to uh, the things that we talked about before, where yeah. it's really it really is about the guest. It's not about us, and um, you know, we're just we're working hard to try and serve the community as best we can and have fun doing it, and hopefully, hopefully, it'll pay off in the end. So, are you guys looking to mainly stay in Texas, or are you looking to expand? No, we're, 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 we're going to expand in other states. We were going to do it uh, probably early next year. Um, we will put a hold on that. I, you know, I, I think that it, it's a big risk going into new markets uh, just because it is a new market and you don't know that market as well. We know the state of Texas. We love the state of Texas. It's great to do business here. Um, and so, you know, our philosophy is even if we did stay in Texas, uh, I think we're the eighth largest economy in the world if we were our own country. So if you can dominate Texas, that's doing pretty, that's saying something. Yeah. But, uh, but we do have plans to go outside of Texas. Awesome. Certainly. So I was, I was watching one of your interviews where you were talking about a reality show that you are um, taking part in. You want to yes. talk on that a little bit? Sure. I can. Um, we filmed a, we filmed a, a show uh, end of last year, um, it was going to, it was uh, being um, placed in the spring and then this thing called uh, COVID-19 hit and all production, all Hollywood stopped. Uh, in fact, I was, I was supposed to be, uh, I was actually on my way to the airport flying out to LA to uh, go film some stuff at NBC Universal Studios in, in, in LA. And um, they called me on the way and said, hey, they just shut down the studio and they're sending everybody home. Don't wow. even fly out here. So Hollywood is, I mean, and that's a really interesting story that not a lot of people are talking about, but, but Hollywood is shut down and there's no filming. And there's no, you know, there's nobody's filming shows, nobody's film, filming movies, things like that. So um, it'll, you know, it'll be interesting once uh, the pandemic, you know, kind of subsides or stabilizes and people can go back to work, there's gonna be a long draw and a long gap between that and when new material, new content starts being released, yeah. whether on the big screen or the small screen uh, for a long time because they still, they'll still they have to film it. Yeah, my wife so, and I were actually talking about that the other day. Like we have a, a series of shows that we enjoy watching and mm -hmm. we're looking like, are they gonna come back? I mean, it's yeah. gonna be a long time. I mean, we're, we're kind of eager to watch these new shows and. In reality, we're dealing with 
a pandemic that, you know, hopefully we'll never see in our lifetime again. Right. right? So I guess I really just want to make sure that people take away, you know, a golden nugget. So um, just a golden nugget of how do you start? How do you keep going? And the core principles that you can, can stay focused on that. Well, I, I, you know, I, I think the biggest thing, and I, I, I call it the snooze button rule. Um, if you're waking up in the morning and hitting the snooze button, uh, you're probably not doing the right thing. If you're waking up in the morning and when that alarm goes off, you jump out of bed because you can't wait to attack the day. That's where, that's where you know you're doing the right thing and you're, you're doing your, you know, you found your passion. Um, so I think that's where it starts. You got to be passionate about what you want or what you are doing. Um, and you've got to be willing to, to persevere. Uh, perseverance is, uh, is, is not talked about enough. Yeah, I agree. If anyone wanted to reach out, where can people find you? Uh, the best way is, is through Instagram, Kyle Noonan, at Kyle Noonan. Not for the show, you know, the listeners, I'll put, uh, Kyle's links in the, in the show notes of this podcast. And if you have any questions, you know, about his business, I know he's a busy guy, but I'm sure he will help out it best way he can. So, um, man, Kyle, I, I appreciate you so much for being on it. Like I said, I know you're busy, um, but I'm definitely grateful for you jumping on with us and, uh, kind of telling a little bit about your story. Well, I enjoyed it and I enjoy what you're doing and I look forward to hearing a lot more episodes and a lot more talented people. But hopefully, hopefully I'll, I'll be your best guess. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks again. Hey, guys, that is it for this week's episode of the Empowering Business DFW podcast. If you enjoyed today's interview, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you hear the newest episodes as they release every week. If you are a business owner or entrepreneur in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex and you would like to share your story, send me an email to empoweringbusinessdfw at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Stay well and God bless.